You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. here is Claudia in this service. Claudia, are you here? Come here. Come here, come here, Claudia. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey. Come in, show me. Oh, he did good. He did, he did good. He, you did good. I'll pawn this rock and I'll build my church. Congratulations. She got engaged, y'all. I haven't been asked yet, but I guess it's done. Good. Take your copy of God's Word. Go with me to the 14th chapter of Romans. Now, let me, let me tell you, this is a difficult passage to preach, and it's a difficult passage to hear. It's not difficult to interpret. Um, it's one of these things that we don't generally ever talk about in church. And that is the mature believer and the immature believer, the stronger brother and the weaker brother. But let me show you a filter through which you should read the entire 14th chapter. And that's chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 2. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification." That's a great verse right now, uh, right there, to think about as we go through the 14th chapter, because I'm going to get about half of it this morning and half next week, and then on the 24th of December, I'm going to talk about the curse and Christmas. Um, Just to kind of set this up, in the late 1800s, the two greatest preachers in the world at that time, I would say... Uh, were Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Now, Alexander McLaren, was old, uh, he was on up in Manchester. Uh, I would say there were three, but let me just deal with these two guys that are in London. Uh, Spurgeon built the Metropolitan Tabernacle, 10,000-seat auditorium, and uh, Joseph Parker uh, really renovated and redid uh, City Temple. Now, the churches were not far apart. They were fairly close. They began to write each other, and they entered into a a unique relationship between two tremendously powerful preachers. They They really were considered to be the two greatest preachers of the English language since the Apostle Paul, and really down to our day, honestly. Uh, But they built this relationship. They built a great friendship. Uh, Spurgeon would go and preach in Parker's pulpit, and Parker would come over and preach in Spurgeon's pulpit. They both received some of the greatest uh, people. There were times where the prime minister would visit one, then he would visit the other. Same thing with, uh, with the queen, Victoria. This was Victorian England. But both men at one point came to a place where they found something in the other that they just could not abide. And it ended that friendship. 
Spurgeon disdained the fact that Joseph Parker went to the theater. And Parker disdained the fact that Spurgeon smoked cigars. Now, Spurgeon, in response to that, said, I do not smoke in excess. I don't smoke two at the time. (laughs) But the two great preachers in the world at that time, uh, not a doctrinal issue, not an issue of morality, but a secondary issue, maybe even a tertiary issue, broke the relationship and the friendship That's what Paul's going to talk about here. He's going to talk about the stronger brother and the weaker brother. When he speaks of the stronger, he is speaking to the more mature. When he's speaking of the younger, he is really speaking of uh, those that have not grown into maturity as much. But he comes and he says, now accept the one who is weak. Now, when he speaks of the weak brother, he is not speaking of weakness in character. They're saved. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a weakness of character. It's a weakness in in assurance of what uh, their faith will allow and what my faith will not allow. Uh, I'm to keep this rule and to do this thing and not to do that thing and not to do this other. That's generally the weaker brother. We'll look at that as we move through this. And by the way, I've got to take a lot of time this morning just setting up the background on this passage because uh, you'll get lost in it if, if I don't do that. So Paul comes, and, and in Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. Now here's the scenario very quickly. You've got the issue of eating meat. It's the same issue that you come across in 1 Corinthians, uh, but uh, I won't go to that passage. There's enough here to deal with. Um, There were those who would eat meat that had been offered to an idol. And then there were others who said, no, we cannot eat that meat. Now, we don't have that issue in our day. So I'm going to give you some things that we do have issues with in our day. But before I do, I want to back up once again, and I want, to, I want you to understand uh, what I am speaking about or what this chapter is speaking about. It is not speaking about issues of failed morality. We know what the Word of God tells us to do and not to do. We know that uh, according to God's Word, that uh, God created man and woman, and that He created man and woman, one man, one woman, to be married for life. He created it that way. Sex is to be encountered inside the bonds of marriage of one man and one woman. We are, we are, we are not in agreement biblically with the issue of homosexuality or transgenderism or homosexual marriage, but we hold up the standard of one man, one woman for life. Uh, it's not an issue of adultery. It's not an issue of, uh, of fornication, of, uh, of two young people living together. That's not the issues in chapter 14. It's not the issue of holding up Bank of America. It's not the issue of murdering somebody. There are no moral issues covered in chapter 14 nor are there doctrinal issues. In the 42, 43 years that I have pastored, and I have pastored 
five, six churches. I can't remember. Why aren't you counting them up real quick and tell me? Um, I've never had a doctrinal issue in my church. We all believe in the virgin birth. We all believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, we all believe homo usios over homoi usios. Um, settled at the Council of Nicaea? No, it was really settled in the Word of God. Um, we believe in the Trinity. We're Trinitarian in, in uh, our beliefs. Uh, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Three in one. We have no issue with uh, all of uh, Scripture, with inerrancy or infallibility. We don't have any issue with uh, the whole of uh, the doctrine of eschatology. We may be in some different places on eschatology, but we all believe Jesus is coming back. So there are no doctrinal issues covered in chapter 14. These are all secondary, tertiary issues that you really are dealing with. And what Paul is doing is this. Paul says we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, we have been transformed because of the grace of God in us. It is changing us from the inside out. It's just not some external decorations on us that make us look different. We don't keep certain rituals just to show that we're Christians. We show that we're Christians. What Paul has said through chapter 12 and 13 and now into 14 is how we love each other. So now he's going to come and he's going to deal what do the stronger ones in the church, in the, in the fellowship do with those that are weaker. And let me just give you some illustrations here. Here's a simple illustration. How do you feel about somebody wearing a hat in the middle of a worship service? Well, you say, man, I just don't like that. I think it's wrong. You have to show it to me in Scripture first. I mean, I may not think it's appropriate, but, you know, there, you know nothing in the Word says you can't wear a hat. Well, now, hey, the Word says that women are to wear hats. And not a one of you women in here got one on. Is there one? Yes. Bless your heart. You're, you're keeping Scripture. So there you go. Hey, you got a hand at Valleydale. Well, you know, that's a whole other issue, and I'm not dealing with that this morning. But let me, what if I showed up next Sunday and I had a diamond stud earring in this ear right here? And see, somebody's saying amen to that. What if I come next week and my hair's dyed purple? Y'all are laughing about my hair. <laughs> well, let me, give you a, let me give you one that's a little, little more. I'm gonna, this is going to get a little edgy here. Y'all laughing right now. You're not going to be laughing here. So. Let me give you one. What if tomorrow morning I call all the women who are on staff in this church in here to the auditorium, and I tell them, no more pants. You're going to wear dresses to work and to church. And by the way, no open-toed shoes or sandals either. I pastored a church like that. That was the dress code. Until the first Sunday night, my wife showed up in pants. And it blew that whole thing to pieces. And women felt liberated. Lord, they were marching around the church and singing glory, glory, hallelujah, and all of that kind of stuff. And I, we ha I had no idea. She had, I don't think you had an idea. We did not know. But we found out that Sunday night. Uh, when women were weeping and falling in the aisle and running to the altar. And, um, 
Now, let me, let me give you, let me give you another, what, what would you say to that? If we just said, now, no more, no more pants, you've got to wear dresses to church. What would you do uh, in this case? What about movies, the theater? Because I pastored a church to where if you were on staff and if you were in church leadership, if you taught or if you were a deacon, you had to sign a yearly covenant that said, I will not go to movies. What have we just said? Hey, no movies. Um, the first time I was in the car with a group of them, we were on our way to lunch and they were laughing about how they would all sign that and then they would go out of town to watch movies. Now, I got an issue with that. I got a real issue with that. I, I, I don't care if you go to see a movie or not. You don't, are we, we're live, aren't we? So I can't tell you not to, Napoleon is not worth seeing. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. But uh, I, just, I, just will, I just will tell you this. I don't have an issue about that. I have an issue if you put your name on a covenant and you promise that you'll not do it, and then you do it. Now, that goes to the issue of character and integrity. And I never in that uh, fellowship felt like I could honestly trust what these guys would and would not do after they showed me that they would be willing to sign a covenant, but they left town to go see a movie. Okay, let me get to the one you're all waiting on. And I'm not going to deal with it, but just a second, because I'm bringing it up as an illustration. Uh, what about having a glass of wine if I'm out and I'm eating Italian food? Now, I'm a teetotaler. I don't do it. I don't do it because the Word of God tells me, oh, you can't have a glass of wine. I don't do it. It does tell me I am not to be drunk, and it does tell me to stay away from hard stuff. But what about that innocuous little glass of wine? I don't do it for two reasons. Number one, uh, my wisdom tells me not to do it. I've stood by the graveside of 15-year-old and had to bury him looking at his very godly mother and his drunk daddy. I've done that. You ever done that? And don't, don't, don't uh, come down too hard on me when I tell you that I don't do it. The second thing is this. Uh, the sake of my witness what would you think if you walked into a restaurant and saw me drinking a beer? Oh, come on now. Come on, come on. Oh, I think it's all right, preacher. No, you don't. You would expect better of me than that. And you should expect better of me. And I expect better of you. But what do you do? Because I want to tell you, a glass of wine's not going to send you to hell. What do I do with that? It's, it's just one of those areas. Y'all struggle enough with that? What about music? I can remember the first time I was 14 or 15, maybe it was 15, when I saw a set of these in the auditorium at South Main Street Baptist Church in Greenwood, South Carolina. We had three people pass out. They fainted, dead away. They thought Satan had entered the church. That's why we keep this guy in a cage over here. You see that? Well, uh, I, I remember our deacons in that church because my dad was one of them who met. Are we going to let them come in with drums? They literally did. Are we going to let them come in with drums and electric piano and guitars and all this kind of stuff? And I'm thankful to the Lord because we were putting on the youth production of Tell It Like It Is. And it was the first time and all of our deacons decided, you know what? We're thankful our young people want to sing 
um, to the glory of God, and uh, we don't have a problem with it. So I was thankful for that. But music's been a big issue in my ministry over these last 42, 43 years uh, because there's some people that think we should not sing anything but what's in the hymn book, and they're wanting the hymn book to come back, and uh, they've got real issues. Now, I love the hymns, absolutely love the hymns. I love the stuff that they sang up here this morning, and what um, Kirkwood was joking about was, I, I just want it to be theologically correct. These little children that were singing this morning were singing about the hypostatic union of uh, the nature of Christ. That is fully God, fully man. When they sang, born of God, born of man, it's teaching them theology. And what they learn at this age to sing, they'll remember these songs for the rest of their lives. And there is theology in that. I just want it to be good theology. So you've got all of these issues. Now, listen, I just have to say, y'all are unusually quiet this morning. Uh, that's what Paul is dealing with. He's got a church now in Rome, or really there were multiple churches in Rome, and they had two groups of people. They had Jews that came out of a very legalistic background, and then they had Gentiles that came out of all of this paganism and uh, what was wrapped up with that. And Paul comes in this chapter, and what he's saying is that our transformation should grow in us a grace that will be gracious toward my brothers and sisters, even in disagreement. That's the thesis statement. Now, let me give you the only point that I've got because I'm going to preach the rest of this next week. Number one... Get this, we should handle each other. We should be gracious enough to handle each other with care. That should be understood in the family of God. Now, let me give you the problem that's defined here because it is a little, it is a little difficult to work through, and it's the issue of eating meat offered to idols. They knew, there were those who knew that Idols were nothing. By the way, let me tell you, the Jews honestly did not have a problem with that that we see in the New Testament. They only wanted you to cook your steak long enough. Remember when Paul and Barnabas uh, went up to Jerusalem from Antioch and uh, they wanted to know the issue was, can the Gentile be saved like the Jew is being saved or do the Gentiles have to become Jews first and then they can be saved? So they go up to Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, leads the Jerusalem council. Uh, the other apostles are there, and they go up, and they say, listen, here is what we have, have uh, this is what God has led us to believe. What we understand is that all people are saved just alike. But could we give you one little hint on how to get along with your Jewish brother? Just cook your steak a little longer. We just don't like to see all that blood. So that was, and that had nothing to do with salvation. That was just James saying, hey, would you be considerate of your fellow, of these Jews that are in the fellowship with you? And so it was not the issue there of, of uh, 
offering that meat to idol. So maybe it was the Gentiles that had issues with this. Here's a Gentile who comes in and uh, you say, hey man, welcome to the house. We're glad that you're here. Uh, come on, sit down. We've got, you know, we've got a, 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 we got a T-bone here tonight for everybody. Got a great price on this T-bone. Got it down at the butcher shop. It had been uh, offered up to uh, Athena. And uh, man, we're just going to have a good, good time tonight. Come on in, let's eat. And you've got a Gentile who said, no, 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 no. I used to go to the temple of Athena. I know what happened in the temple of Athena. I was involved in what happened. God saved me from that in Jesus Christ, and I can't eat that because it's just too difficult for me. I believe it's wrong for me to eat that steak because it was offered up to Athena. And he struggled with that, just like an alcoholic might would tell you, I know I can go and get a Coke or a ginger ale in that bar, but it's just too tough to go in that place. It's just too wicked for me to go in there. It's too much of a personal struggle for me to go in there. So that's the situation that you've got. And the other situation is back the other way. Because if you look at verse 5, it says one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day as just alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul says here the Jews, and they grew up observing Passover. They just can't get away from that. Now, it's not that they trust that the Passover is going to save them. They know that they've been saved by Jesus Christ. They just love to go back and relive that experience out of the history of the Jews, out of the history of, uh, of their forefathers. And so they will take the day off and they will keep the Passover and they will eat lamb, roasted lamb and unleavened bread and they will do all the stuff. And uh, here's the Gentile over here saying, you know, what are they doing? I'm going to work. I'm not staying home just because they think there's something sacred about today. I'm going to work or I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and they can have the day. That's the issue that's going on. Now, let me just say here in the beginning of all of this that there's a little bit of weakness in every mature believer and there's a little bit of maturity in every immature believer. So the problem is we're all a little messed up, <laughs> especially when it comes with how do I deal with my brother and sister in Jesus Christ? How do I handle them? How do I care for them? What am I supposed to do in the midst of all of this, preacher? I've never really thought about all this stuff before. Well, let me just give you three things and then we'll wrap it up. Number one, I want you to understand we're to handle each other with care because God has accepted all of us. He's accepted us. Now, let me begin to read to you. Let me pick it up in verse 2. One person has a faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Now, I've got to stop right there, and I've got to go back through that because I want you to see what's going on because it goes on in churches all the time. Now, watch it. what he says. The one who eats meat that's been offered to an idol is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So this stronger brother, this more mature brother, there's nothing to an idol. Bring the meat on. There's nothing to an idol. They're, 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 they're nothing. They don't mean anything. Athena is nothing. Hercules is nothing. Zeus is nothing. You know, all these gods are nothing out there. 
There's only one God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So bring me my stake kind of deal. But he says, those of you who are mature are not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. That whole word means to ridicule, to mock, to make fun of, to belittle, to despise, to look down on. And in the church, there are those that are mature that walk around looking down on those who are less mature, who are weaker. Then he comes and he says this, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. In other words, he says, listen, let me, let me just tell you something here. Those of you that are weaker and you're sitting in judgment on your brothers who have uh, understood freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ, you're, 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 you're finding all this fault and all this negativism, and you're listing all of these rules that they are breaking that they should not do, they should be following. He says, you stop sitting in judgment on them. And so in the church, between the mature and the immature, we sit around and this group looks down in disdain on these poor pitiful, you just don't know what I know kind of folks. And these folks over here are sitting in judgment on these over here, and they are saying, you're not following the rules the way you should. Welcome to Valleydale. It's tough stuff. It's real. It's where we live. But do you see what he says right here? He says, for God, at the end of verse 3, has accepted him. Accepted who? Accepted both of them. God has the same word that you find up in verse 1 of chapter 14. And the word is this. The word is proslambano. Proslambano. Pros is a prefix, little preposition that it has a host of meanings. Um, but it means... Uh, towards something or to something. Lombano means to receive. Lombano, I receive. Lombano, pros lombano, I receive to myself. I take to myself. That's the word. He says you are to take to yourself your weaker brother. You are to take because God has taken to himself you. He has taken to himself the mature. He has taken to himself the immature. God is for us. And he says in verse 4, look at this. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Now, that's funny. Let me ask you a question. Let me, let me give you a little bit of a break here. How many of y'all watched Downton Abbey? Oh, come on. Y'all all watched that. You know it. It was the best thing on TV next to Andy Griffith's show. Um, it fabulous. You're dealing with this landed gentry at the end of the 1800s, Lord Grantham and Lady Grantham, and they live at Downton, you know, in that massive castle that's there. And it's interesting what goes on upstairs, but it is not the real story, what happens downstairs with all the servants. Now, what happens downstairs with all the servants is where it's really fascinating. You've got the butler, you've got the housekeeper, you've got the chef, you've got scullery maids, you've got kitchen boys, you've got housemaids, you've got ladies' maids, you've got valets, you've got footmen, you've got governesses, you've got a tutor, you've got companions, you've got nursery maid, you've got nanny, and then with the maids, you've got the upper maids and the lower maids, maids that 
uh, had this, there's all this pecking order here. And all this pecking order, if you watch Downton Abbey, or we're watching that thing called the Golden Age, which is taking place in New York during the time of Lady Astor, and it's kind of the same thing in America. They were trying really to be British is what they were doing. You've got the same thing happening. All the fun takes place with the servants. Because you got this servant correcting that servant, and this servant trying to show this servant where they went wrong, and this servant is tattling on this servant and going to tell Lord Grantham or Lady Grantham about what this one did. And uh, they're all down there trying to instruct and correct and lead each other. And the funny thing is, the only person who can do anything about any of it is Lord Grantham. He said, well, I, I'm not sure I follow this. Well, what are you in the kingdom of God? You know what Paul calls himself? A doulos. You know what a doulos is? A slave. He says, I am the slave of Jesus Christ. What are you? You are the servant of Jesus Christ. So what are you doing trying to tell somebody else what they're doing is wrong or right or to stop this or stop that or something else? I'm waiting. Who are we to do that? When our master is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All of this correction that we like to do in the body, all of this disdaining and looking down on somebody else that we like to do in the church, let me tell you something. It is sin. That's wrong. We need to leave each other into the hands of God and take care of who? Myself. Myself. Well, I told you, it's not a whole lot of fun, is it? Well, let me give you the second thing here. And the second thing is this, is God sustains every one of his children. Now watch this in verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who is able to stand? We are able to stand. How is that? For the Lord is able to make him stand. Let me just read to you this great benediction in the little epistle of Jude right before Revelation. I love this. Jude writes, who was also a half-brother of our Lord. He comes and he writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Now, Jiminy Cricket, that's good news. That is, God is able to keep me from stumbling through this life, through every sin that is out there, and he is able to make me stand, and he's going to cause me to stand in the presence of God's glory one day, blameless, as if I never sinned. Oh, what a day of joy that will be. Oh, listen to what he says. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. He will make us stand blameless with great joy before the Father in heaven because he has paid for our sin. He does that for every single child. Why do I treat you with care? Because God is the one who is able to make you stand. You're the strong one. You're the weak one. 
But God is the one who is able to make you stand. Now, why do we do this? Why, why do we do all this? Why, why, do, why does the strong always disdain and look down on and pity the weak? Because we go by that weaker brother and we just kind of feel like, well, you know what? Bless your heart. You, I don't know if you're really saved. You're just dependent on law to keep you saved. You just keep these rules and that rule and this other rule. And I just, you know, you don't know any better. And one day you're going to get so sick of keeping rules and uh, you're going to be so sick of staying under that law and you don't know what it's like to be free. You're just going to be bitter and constantly condemning everybody else until you just absolutely just fall away from God himself. And so that's what we think. That's what we believe. And so then what about the weak brother and the stronger? When the weak brother looks at the stronger brother and says, you're, you're just not following the things that God, God's clearly laid out things for us that we should do and that we should not do. And you're not following these rules over here. And you're not following these rules over here. You're using too much makeup. And you're not putting your hair up on your head and you've got jewelry all over the place. We know what the word of God has to say about all of that. And he says, you're just living so close to the edge that you're going to tip over into sin and it's going to be disastrous. We think we're correcting each other. We, th we honestly are thinking that we're doing each other all this good, but let me show you how God looks at us. You got your Bible? Look at verse 6. He who observes the day, that guy that holds to that celebration of that specific day he observes it for the Lord. When that weaker brother is doing what he thinks will please God, he's doing it for the glory of God. And he who eats, what is he doing? Eating that meat offered to idols, he does so for the Lord. He gives thanks to God for it. God, I'm eating this. Listen, I know that there's only one true God there's nothing to these idols, and I do this. I eat this meal to your glory. You bless it. Do you see that? Please, somebody say yes. Do y'all see that? That the weak brother does what he does by trying to please the Lord, and this stronger brother, this more mature brother does what he does with prayer, with thanks, trying to please God? We need to understand all of our brothers and sisters, honestly, in living their Christian life, are trying to please the Lord, handle them with care. Let me give you the last thing. And the last thing is this. Because we're going to all stand before Christ one day. Now, he's just talked about the second coming. The end of chapter 13, remember last Sunday, do this knowing the time is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we had believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, lay aside all of this stuff. Christ is coming back. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. And then he turns right into this to these weak brothers and stronger brothers, these mature brothers, these immature brothers. And he says, but you, verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account to him, of himself to the Lord. Your daddy will not do that for you. Your mother will not do that for you. Your pastor cannot do that for you. You will have to stand before the Lord and give an account of how we treated each other in Jesus Christ. And that means husbands and wives and parents and children and children and parents and brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters in the family of God. We're fragile. We need to be concerned about how we treat each other. We, we went home to see our youngest son uh, graduate from the police academy, from the uh, corrections academy. He's a corrections officer and uh, we wanted to see him graduate from something. So, and he graduated from him. We're proud of him. We're thanking the Lord. And uh, he's got insurance now, thank the Lord. He's got, you know, he's got all of the benefits and everything. He's got a retirement, thank Jesus. And, and uh, so we went down there, and that night we went out, we took him out, and then Debbie, we came back by the mall, and she said, hey, uh, I want to I find, because Courtney had, um, they, they, I didn't know this, but they get a little snow globe every Christmas, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23. And she said they got the little snow globe. And Cannon, who is four years of old, I've been instructed, four years of age, uh, went over and, you know, knocked it off and broke it. Well, you know, Grandma's going to, we've got to rectify this situation. And so Grandma goes and she gets a, uh, a snow globe. And she tells the late, listen, put it in bubble wrap. I'm going to put it in a suitcase. We're going home on a plane. So she gets it all packed up, and we, we get to the airport, and we're going through the airport. And, of course, they pull Debbie out of line, which they normally do, which is a usual uh, thing. They pull her out of line. They open up the suitcase, and there is a TSA officer who unwraps the, the snow globe and says, you can't carry this on an airplane. Now, what begins now is um, a discussion about what do you think I'm going to do with a snow globe? I mean, this is not a weapon. This is a snow globe for my daughter. I've bought it to replace one that my grandson broke. Blah, 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 blah. We had falls on deaf ears. I can just tell you. The guy next to him, the TSA agent next to him says, it's a snow globe. What, what's the problem? And he tells Debbie, he says, there are 80 pages on the internet of what you can and cannot bring on to an airplane, and you cannot bring this. The, the rules say you cannot bring a snow globe onto the plane. And he says, now, if you don't want to surrender it, you've got to take it out and go back out and recheck that piece of luggage that you've got. Now, if it had been me, I'd have said, hey, Merry Christmas. That's your problem to deal with now, um, but not my wife. She goes back out to the front, and she tells the girls at the counter, and the girls at Delta cannot believe it. You have got to be kidding me. They're going to make you check this snow globe. Well, we're going to put fragile, fragile on the, on the little bag, on the thing, fragile, which in the Greek means slam it as hard as you can. <laughs> it, in interpretation, if you know how to interpret uh, foreign language, that's what you do. So they put, you know, and she checks it through. We get on the plane and uh, we get home and she gets off the plane. We come into the house and she lays it down on the bed and she opens it up and it has shattered. And there is glow 
uh, um, what do you call the thing? Snow globe. Everywhere in that, on everything. And she had a pair of Uggs, orange, orange, not Auburn orange, not Tennessee orange, Clemson orange Ugg boots. Just ruined. And she says, I think I'm going to cry. And I said, please, let's don't go there. Let's don't do that. I'll, do, I'll go buy one. I'll go get you some more Uggs. Let's just don't cry. So I cleaned out the inside of the luggage and put it outside to dry. And she went and she cared for that. And I thought to myself, all of this could have been avoided had we just handled the thing with care. And how much grief in the church could be avoided. How much grief in your home could be avoided if we just handle this and each other with care. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.